Um, before I do that, I want to pray for our service this morning. I also want to pray for um, our brothers and sisters at the E-Free Church. You, they're on our list this morning to be praying for other churches in the community. Um, Pastor Jim Tolson and the uh, rest of the staff there and, and the people. Um, but also a bit of sad news in regards to some things with U-Turn. Um, one of the uh, brothers there, a uh, uh, young man by the name of Trey, he uh, walked out of the ministry this morning. And... Um, we want to pray for him and lift him up. Um, he's, uh, for some reason, he's not ready to, to, to get things right. And um, it's sad. It's, it, it breaks my heart to hear about that. Todd shared with me about that this morning. And I, I pray that where, wherever he goes, we know that God would be with him, but that he would be listening to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And perhaps maybe he would come back or he would end up in a place where there are other Christians who love him and care about him. So let's pray for our time this morning. Let's pray for Trey and for the, the E-Free Church. We bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for blessing our church so that um, we're to the place, God, where we're now meeting two times together on a Sunday morning, two times to worship you, two times to study your word, uh, two times to be together in, in fellowship in the day. And Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified through what goes on here today, that you would be blessed, and Lord, that you would bless us. And we pray for um, all the people who are here this morning, Lord, that woke up early to be here, a fellowship together. I thank you for them, and Lord, for those who are coming to the 1030 service, uh, we pray, God, that, that you would uh, make a clear path for them to get here, uh, and that they would um, be excited and encouraged also uh, to, to come in fellowship with us. And Lord, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters at the Evangelical Free Church here, and for Pastor Jim Tolson and the rest of the staff and pastors and servants that are all working this morning, Lord as a labor of love to minister to the saints and uh, there. And we pray, Lord, that um, your presence would be there, that your spirit would fill them who are leading and, and guiding, and, um, Lord, that uh, the word would be taught um, and that people's lives would be changed. And we pray that here, too, that through the message that we hear this morning through, through Michael, Lord, that our hearts would be softened, that our lives would be changed, and we would know you and understand you more and your will for our lives. And lastly, Lord, we pray for uh, Trey. And wherever he's at and whatever he's, 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 he's setting his feet to, God, we pray you would be speaking to his heart, and um, he, he would hear you, Lord, that you would um, redirect his path, perhaps, to come back. And um, to know that he's welcome and he's um, loved, and that um, but there's there's a way of going about things. And Lord, he's been trying to do it his way for just like the rest of us for for so long. I pray, Lord, that he would stop, that he would stop doing it his way, that he would trust in you, or that you would convict him, and that you would surround him, Lord, with other people who who love you, who would love him. And uh, we, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we have a guest speaker. His name's Michael Cohen. He's with Chosen People Ministry. And there's a little bio I want to read as an introduction for you guys to welcome him up here. The study he has for us this morning is God's Appointed Times, the Feasts of Israel. And um, Michael's a native of the San Fernando Valley in California. We won't hold that against him. Um, he, is, uh, he was raised in a conservative Jewish home, and he attended Hebrew school as a boy. And after his bar mitzvah, he went on to excel as a student of history. However, 
uh, during his later teens and early 20s, he banished all thoughts of God and began a life that included many self-destructive behaviors. And for, many of, for, for a number of years, Michael occasionally returned to his Jewish roots, but he couldn't find no comfort and no guidance there in Judaism. And after his graduation from college, Michael went on to work for a car rental company, but there, through a series of unlikely circumstances, perhaps God-ordained, he, he met a young uh, Jewish believer named Lisa. And by the way, his testimony is on Chosen People's Ministries, a little video clip. It's really good. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and uh, you know what? Thank God for sending women who love us into our lives. Amen. I wish your wife could have been here with us, but um, yeah. Um, and so he, she, she is a believer, Jewish believer, a Messianic Jewish believer, and um, he was curious about her faith. And after reading a copy of the New Testament that she gave him, he accepted the Lord. Since then, Michael has served as a deacon, elder, and teacher in, Messianic, in a Messianic congregation. He later married uh, Lisa, good move, <laughs> who also served in the ministry to Jewish people. And they are presently raising support for their, for their ministry. And Michael completed his Master's of Arts in Intellectual Studies with a Jewish emphasis. And currently, Michael and Lisa are in Los Angeles area, serving as missionaries with Chosen People Ministries. And they are building the children's ministry program or the children's program at their local Messianic congregation. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. It's in Hebrew. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about it. Um, but in that, they're also discipling both Jewish seekers into the faith as well as Jewish believers and communicating the gospel message to the interfaith community through specific or for, through um, uh, specific and sensitive outreaches. So, will you welcome with me Michael Cohen? Well, shalom, everyone. Okay, you're working on your Hebrew. That's okay. <laughs> it's wonderful to be here with you this morning and to uh, share with you from God's Word and um, about our, our outreach, our, our ministry, Chosen People Ministries. You know, uh, somebody asked me the other day, they said, is this your first time in Colorado? And I, I immediately said yes, which is kind of ironic because that wasn't true. Uh, and then I stopped myself. You know, I confessed immediately. Um, and uh, I, I realized that I had been to Colorado, and specifically the Colorado Springs area uh, before, because 19 years ago in May, this is where I was um, interviewed and accepted on staff with Chosen People Ministries. Amen. May of 2000. I know, right? That's kind of a funny thing to forget. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, uh, I've been on staff with Jezebel Ministries, uh, it's really for 19 years, since May of 2000, and it's been a really amazing time. When I first came on staff, I had been a believer for about seven years, and, you know, my testimony is, um, you know, it's kind of funny that the pastor, you kind of, he stole my joke, because uh, I find myself in a lot of places, being from Los Angeles, I was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley, and being from Los Angeles, uh, whenever I go, I venture outside of Southern California, I get a lot of weird looks, even in California. And so I went to UC Davis, which is a school in Northern California near Sacramento. I'll never forget, you know, what are the two main questions that people ask you when you start school? You know, you're walking around, you're a freshman, you're, you're nervous. And of course, the, the first question people ask me is what my major was. And if anybody knows anything about UC Davis, it's an ag science school. 
and I loved history, and so I would say, oh, I'm, I'm a history major, and they'd kind of look at me like, what are you doing here? <laughs> but, the, but the funny part about it was then they'd say, where are you from? And I'd say, well, I'm from Los Angeles, and they'd go, what are you doing here? <laughs> because we, uh, we steal their water all the time, so it's a, big, it's a big running joke. But I didn't know. It was kind of the big war that people in Southern California don't know, and the people in Northern California are really upset about. And so, you know, whenever I go into... Uh, you know, outside of California, I always have to apologize uh, for my state. But keep us in prayer. And um, I just appreciate so much you, uh, you having me here. Uh, I am a Jewish believer. Uh, both of my parents are from the Holy Land, New York City. <laughs> uh, they're both, my mom was originally from the Bronx and my dad from Brooklyn, but eventually they, my mom moved to Brooklyn. Um, when she, uh, when she was 12, and they met in Manhattan um, on Christmas Eve, no less. So uh, go figure. And then they moved to the second Holy Land, Los Angeles, when my mom was just tired of the cold weather. And so we, um, we, uh, I grew up in, I'm a valley dude. I love the, the valley. I, I grew up uh, in, a, in Hebrew school. I went to Hebrew school for eight years, and from the age of five to 13 where I was, where I was bar mitzvahed. And I really loved, I mean, I still do, I, I'm Jewish, you know, I'm, I'm what we like to say, I'm a, I'm a purebred, uh, which means I get a little skittish, so don't sneak up behind me. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, I, I, I grew up and I was, we were really, you know, we were kind of Zionistic, for sure, and loved Israel, loved just kind of saying, you know, we're, you know, Jewish and having a lot of pride for, uh, for Israel and, and her accomplishments, the, the nation and all the, how, you know, God brought Israel into existence and, and how, you know, the, um, her enemies would always come up against her and, and, and the, the nation would, would somehow survive. And then we, um, when I was growing up, when I was a young, um, young man, the Soviet Union was still around, and there were Jews that are being, just like we, we pray and we're concerned about the persecuted church, and, and interestingly, that's also big, you know, that's part of my heart, but it, it came out of my formative years, because growing up with the Jewish community in, in the Soviet Union, over a million Jews were in the Soviet Union uh, during the 80s. Uh, many of you, maybe you know about after the Soviet Union fell, over, roughly a million Jewish uh, Jews left the Soviet Union, and, and many of them went to Israel, where they were a lot of. Uh, there was a big revival in the early '90s amongst the Soviet Jews, the Russian Jews, and so we cared about them. We were praying, and it was always like free Soviet Jewry in the '80s. And so I grew up really, you know, believing and 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 just um, really, you know, love being Jewish. But in terms of the religion, you know, and a lot of Jewish people were like this. You know, we didn't, I didn't really get a lot of, you know, closeness with God or, or you know, the people group, yes, but, but God, not so much. And, and I remember, though, when people would come up to me and try to witness to me and share the gospel with me, and it, it would happen periodically. Uh, they, you know, I remember when I was 16 years old in high school in an auditorium, a large auditorium, there was something going on. I don't know whether it was like a health 
kind of thing or some kind of explanation about something. This kid sitting next to me who I'd known for three years, I didn't know he was a Christian or believed in, in Jesus, really. I mean, to me, a Christian was somebody who celebrated Christmas, honestly. I, I had friends, they said they were Christians. They, they had a lot of presents and, um, you know, on Christmas. So I'm like, can we go to their party? Uh, and, you know, I remember once I told them, you know, Jews, we celebrate Hanukkah, and you get eight small presents. And uh, finally, I don't know if any of you have seen the Goldbergs, but if you have, they have an episode on Hanukkah, and that was my, my house. You get socks one night, you know, a plastic uh, Nerf ball or something like that. And I said, well, can we, can we just have one big present like they do on, on Christmas, you know, like that? And so we finally said, okay, we'll do that too. But so that's what I thought what a Christian was growing up. <laughs> And then this young, this young man started sharing with me. He said, you know, he leans over, he starts whispering in my ear, you know, Jesus Christ came and he died for your sins. I don't know why I'm, I'm whispering because that's what he did. It was, you know, the auditorium. And, and he died for your sins and he rose from the dead and you need to believe in him. And if you don't, you're going to go to hell. And I remember going, wow, <laughs> I don't even know you that well. Um, but... Um, I just said, you know, thank you. You know, I didn't want to get into trouble. And he was starting to talk a little loud. And so I finally said, you know, I'm Jewish. We don't believe in Jesus. And he stopped. And I noticed whenever somebody would try to witness to me, I'd say, you know, I'm Jewish. We don't believe in, I don't believe in Jesus. And uh, they'd stop. And then that's, and, and so the first time when I was 16, and then when I was 18 going to, to college, Somebody tried to witness to me. They actually took me to church. I said, yeah, I'll go to church. Why not? I mean, I didn't know what went on there. And I, it, it was really amazing because I'll never forget the sermon was on Jonah. And I'm like, Jonah? <laughs> Why are you guys talking about Jonah? I mean, that's from the Old Testament I, or, the, you know, my Bible. So these were things I was starting to learn. I didn't know that you guys talked about the Old Testament. You know, go figure. And, uh, but so I just kind of went through. And, and during the time, you know, we used, I used the word self-destructive behaviors. I mean, and you can kind of fill in the blank. I was, after I bar, was bar mitzvah, Around that time, my parents split up, and so not only was I not finding any real peace in the religion, I wasn't really finding a lot of peace in the home, so I was really an at-risk child, young man, and that's why um, I really do have a heart for youth, for children. I've had a camp for the last 12 years where I take a group of kids every year to camp. We have a youth group, but I also love street evangelism, and so I like to go out on the streets, college campuses, talk to people about the Lord, share the gospel, help disciple kids young people, and, and that's why when I was 23 years old, after I had gone through middle school and high school and college, and I was in my first job uh, at this rental car agency, working hard and just really feeling totally empty inside, and, and when um, this uh, young woman, um, attractive young woman, might add, obviously I married her, um, we have five lovely children, and five boys, uh, and, and when uh, she started sharing with me, I just said, you know, I'm Jewish. We don't, I don't believe in Jesus. That's not what we do. And she said, I'm Jewish too. And that was really a shock to me. I mean, I, hadn't, I didn't know that there were Jewish people that believed in, uh, in Jesus. And it's interesting because that line, that line is still one of the most powerful witnessing lines there are. Not just the Jewish people, 
or, and not just from Jewish people, but to let Jewish people know that there are Jews that believe in Jesus. Um, I was uh, at a conference with Joel Rosenberg. He, he ministers with our, he partners with our, our ministry, Chosen People Ministries. And incidentally, Chosen People Ministries is an international ministry. Our corporate headquarters is in New York City, but we're in 16 countries all over the planet. We're, um, obviously, we're in Los Angeles, but we're also in Israel, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, uh, France, Germany, where everywhere where there's a sizable Jewish population. And, and Joel talks about how he gets to stand before heads of state. I mean, he, he was before um, one of the, the head Muslim in Morocco, and that was his line to this non-Jewish person. He said, you know, I'm Jewish, and I believe in Jesus. And that caught his attention, and he got to share the gospel with the, one of the head clerics in, uh, in uh, Islam in, in, in Morocco. And he was uh, just in the Oval Office recently. And he just said, you know, yeah, he just all of a sudden got to say somehow it came out. I'm Jewish and I believe in Jesus. And it was like, the president was like, what? So it's just, it's, it's somehow it grabs people's attention and it grabbed my attention. And it got me to pursue the Hebrew Bible in a way I had never pursued my Bible, not the New Testament, because the New Testament was still like, uh, you know, it's kind of a forbidden book for Jewish people. Not like in writing, but, you know, stay away from it kind of a thing. And so I, nobody told me don't read it because I wasn't part of an Orthodox community. The, the Hebrew school that I went to was a conservative community, which is kind of even, ironically, kind of Judaism gets a little confusing. Conservative is moderate. Orthodox is conservative in political parlance. It's really, you know, uh, strict. And reform is liberal. So there you go. So I, I went to a conservative or moderate synagogue, not because we were conservative, but just because it was the closest to my house. And I rode my bike there uh, many times. And so that's where I, I went. And, you know, I just, um, I just remember um, we didn't really investigate the Hebrew scriptures. And so I started investigating the Hebrew Bible. And part of what we're going to talk about in just a, a couple moments is, is from the Hebrew scriptures, from the Torah, from, from the book of Leviticus, really the middle of the Torah almost, Leviticus uh, chapter 23. And so I just started exploring it. I saw Messianic prophecy. I saw how it really detailed the life and ministry of the Messiah of Israel, who, of course, we believe to be Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, which is the Hebrew word for salvation. It's a lot of cool verses. Isaiah 49, verse 7 says that God is going to take his salvation, his Yeshua, his Jesus, to the ends of the earth. And um, I hate to criticize you. I don't mean to. I say this when I'm in Los Angeles too. But even though we feel like the center of the earth, we're really in Jerusalem parlance. We're the ends of the earth. And so we are, we, we are a, a physical fulfillment of prophecy. People say, I want evidence. You got it right here. People who are not Jewish, believing in the Jewish Messiah 2,000 years later, thousands, I think this is probably about 8,000 miles from Jerusalem, six, uh, somewhere, six to 8,000 miles. I mean, we're the ends of the earth. This is evidence. This is proof. How much more do you need? And lives are being changed. And my life was changed because as I saw the Messiah in the Old Testament, and then, then, you know, I kind of flipped over to that other side, and I started reading from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and and. Paul, and, and I realized these guys are not Catholics or, or Calvary Chapelites or Baptists. They're Jews, with the exception of Luke, 
But I have a hard time believing the only doctor in Scripture is not Jewish. But anyway, that's just my own thing. <laughs> and so it was such a profound witness to me. And of course, the teaching. I mean, Jesus, Jewish, had a Jewish mother like me, celebrated the feasts that we're going to talk about, like I said, in just a moment. And, um, and he lived in Israel, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, visited the temple. It just it resonated with me in such a strong way. And so I gave my faith to um, the Messiah, to Jesus, back in 93. And so it's been 25 years, 20, um, more than 20, 26 years, almost 20 years with Chosen People Ministries, uh, 15 years or so as the LA branch leader. And it's just been, it's just been a really amazing time. And as I said, I married Lisa. We have five boys. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about our ministry or about what's going on in Los Angeles, some of you may have received this slip. You can go ahead and fill it out with your name, address, email, uh, phone number. As much information as you'd like. If you just want to put your email and phone number or email, that's fine. Um, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, I have a book table in the foyer in the lobby, and you can go ahead and drop that slip on there. And on the slip, there is opportunities. If you want to just uh, be on our prayer letter, that's fine, a newsletter. If you want to support us annually, uh, if you want to support us monthly, however you want to do that uh, as a, as a uh, love offering, as part of your over-your-tithe offering, we, of course, want you to give to your local and the ministries you have. But if, if God is blessing you, if he's encouraging you to support our outreaches across around the world and in Los Angeles, you can go ahead and do that however you feel led. Also on the table, there's literature for you. I just have a couple. This is Israel's Holy Days and Types and Prophecies, and so this will also talk about what uh, we're gonna be sh- I'm going to be sharing about uh, this morning. Uh, and really, what's powerful about this book and about the message is it really, each of the seven feasts in Leviticus 23 detail the, the life or the ministry of the Messiah of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, second person of the triune God. It just kind of details his ministry to us and to the world. And so that's what uh, this book also highlights, and that's what we're going to be highlighting this morning. Also, the gospel and the Passover. The Passover is like the, the Babe Ruth of the feasts, okay? It's like the big one, and so it's the one where it kind of, the foundational feast, and so the gospel and the Passover, it's a new book uh, that's also out there. Both books are $10. There's other books as well if you're interested, you can also get them online if you like, or you can just, you know, walk, take a look and walk on by, see what you think. Um, I kind of try to bring literature that you wouldn't normally see in uh, your local bookstore or your local, I guess, bookstores probably don't really exist too much anymore, but you're, as you're browsing Amazon or walking through the airport. So with that, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together as we look at uh, Leviticus chapter 23. Abba, Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is good. Your word is true. Um, your word is, is life. And so, Lord, we just pray uh, that uh, you would bless our time together and that you would um, just encourage us, strengthen us. And um, I pray, Lord God, that as we look at your word this morning, that we wouldn't just be hearers only, but that we would be doers as well. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just be speaking to our hearts um, what you want us to apply. And, Lord, I also pray for the nations. I pray, Lord, for every tribe, every tongue. I pray, Lord God, for every people group, um, for the missionaries that go out to uh, minister to them. And also, Lord, I pray, I pray for the persecuted church. I pray, Lord, for those that are being harmed, hurt, and wounded uh, for 
and even killed for their faith. I pray you'd strengthen their testimony and that many would come to faith through them. And I pray their, their persecutors would repent. Lord, I also pray for our nation. I pray, Lord, that you would bring our nation together, that there would be healing through repentance and through the turning to you. I uh, pray, Lord, for the churches that are meeting this morning all over the world. And Father, of course, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the Jewish people. We pray that they would come to know their Messiah. In Yeshua, Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, let's look at, if you will, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23 is, is really in many respects like God's calendar. And I'm going to ask uh, if we could go ahead and just kind of skip to slide five. We'll start there. Um, the Feast of Leviticus chapter 23 are really uh, like, like uh, the previous slide. Yes. So I'm just going to give you a little context. Now, we all have a calendar, and we write out our specific times and our specific dates that we need. Um, some of us are maybe more detailed than others, but of course there are important highlights. And these highlights remind us to either get with important people, important dates, important projects. Well, God's important people, his important projects are us. We are, his, we are of his interest. We are his passion, his people, those that are following him and those that, that pursuing him because he's pursuing us. And I think that's really important. As, as we talk this morning and as, a, as it's my heart to encourage you, I want you to know that, that really God loves you. He loves us. The God of Israel, um, his son, the Holy Spirit, he wants to be engaged with us in a, in a personal relationship. And that through Yeshua, we can, we can know him intimately. And, and really, these feasts are a picture of that intimacy that God desires to have with us. And, and there are seven. Now, these feasts are they're corporate feasts, which means desiring to have with us uh, on a... Um, on a corporate level, not just an individual level. Our faith isn't just individualistic, it's corporate. And that's, that's why we get together. You know, the book of Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering. Um, that's why we're here weekly, which is kind of we're here weekly, sort of as a picture of the weekly feast, the, the Shabbat, which I'm going to read about in just a, a moment. And, and so this is the seven feasts. Now, these feasts, which uh, are detailed, they're biblical holy days or holidays, and they really follow the Israelite harvest. And so Passover, you see, which is the beginning of the spring feast, that's also the beginning of the Israelite harvest, the grain harvest. And then over here, tabernacles, that's the end of the Israelite harvest, or just about the end of the Israelite harvest. And that's the, that's the multi-cropped harvest. And so you have three spring feasts. The first three are clumped together. Then you have that feast Pentecost or Shavuot, which is 50 days after, so you see the three are clumped together in the beginning of the harvest. Then Shavuot, which is the end of the grain or wheat harvest and the beginning of the multi-cropped harvest. Then you have a, this summer, this period of, of uh, reaping that harvest. And then with the, the fall feasts, the fall holy days, you have these fall holy days clumped together at the end. And so these are kind of, you can kind of almost see, that even though there's seven, there's sort of three clumps of important times. And, and those, those three clumps are like their pilgrimage holy days. So Passover, Pentecost, or Shavuot, and then 
tabernacles, those are pilgrimage holy days in which Israelites would supposed to go or send representatives to Jerusalem to bring in their gathering, their harvest, and to worship God. But these are seven feasts that are to remind us to turn to God, to worship him, and he wants to speak to, to the people. In Leviticus chapter 23, starting with verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them. Notice, you know, whenever uh, in Scripture um, the prophet, through the Holy Spirit, and uh, wants to get something across, he repeats himself. And so the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, say to them. So it's very powerful in its repetition. These are the feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are appointed feasts, or moadim. Now, the first feast is not represented on there. This is the weekly feast called Shabbat. And this is a weekly corporate gathering in which God wants his people to come to him and worship him. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Shabbat of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. And so there's this weekly feast, as I just talked about. And that's really, in a sense, what we're doing here. Every week we get together, holy convocation. We're worshiping God. We're hearing from his word. We're seeking to apply it. And we're also fellowshipping one to another. We're developing relationships that are eternal relationships. But now let's look at verse 4, which is the Passover, the first feast, and really, the, in a sense, the, the granddaddy of them all the foundational feast. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. And so Passover, go to the next slide here, Passover is, is really an important historical event in Israel. It was a one-time event in which God freed the Israelites from slavery. And so this is, the, this is the feast of deliverance, of redemption. There's just so much going on. It's the feast of, of blood in which the blood is applied to the doorposts and the lentil. So that when the destroyer went through Egypt on that night, he saw the blood and passed over. And so Israel was slaves in Egypt without hope, and then God, by his grace, by his promise, fulfillment to the patriarchs, he, through Moses, sent the deliverer to instruct the Israelites to slay the Passover lamb, apply its blood to the doorpost. This was the 10th sign and wonder, the 10th plague, in which, in which God used to free the Israelites. And this plague in particular was the slaying of the firstborn, and whoever had the blood on the doorpost the, blood, the, the destroyer would pass over, and then Israel would be free. And so he redeemed them, in a sense, by the blood of the Lamb. And so this feast, the Feast of Redemption, the Feast of Taking Israel Out of Slavery in Egypt, is a picture for you and me. So it's foundation on all these feasts. As I said a moment ago, these feasts are pictures for us. They're really pictures of the ministry of Messiah to you and to me. And so as we look at these feasts for Israel, we're seeing that they really also are representative of Yeshua, Jesus' ministry to us. And this first one is the ministry of deliverance, of redemption, of salvation. And so just as, just as God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, you and I have been freed from slavery to sin and death through the blood of the Lamb. Remember what John says in John chapter 1, Verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so just as a, a pure, spotless Lamb, perfect, 
And actually, interestingly enough, that lamb, before it was slayed, it wasn't just taken and slain. It was taken. It dwelt in the household for about three and a half days, from the 10th to the 14th. But if you do the kind of calculations, it's about three, three and a half days to make sure it was perfect. And in the same way, Yeshua, Jesus had a three and a half year ministry to reveal himself as the Messiah. And then in the prime of his life, it was cut off from the land of the living. And its blood is a, a type of sin offering. And its meat was burned completely, which is a, a type of worship offering. And then also eaten, whatever, you know, it was eaten first as a peace offering, burned as a worship offering, and then eaten with grain, which is symbolic of the gift or grain offering. And so this particular uh, sacrifice really is representative of all the great sacrifices, the main sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, chapters 1 through 7. And so there's a lot going on here, and we see that Jesus, that is symbolic of what Jesus does for us, because through him we can worship God, our sins are forgiven, we have peace, and also as Yeshua cleans us up, we become his gift um, back to God to serve God, the living God. And so, again, foundational, uh, important, and we really can't understand the other feasts without first understanding this one. The next feast really begins the next day. <laughs> you know, Passover is a one-time event on the twilight of the 14th day of the first month, and that's also another important point that, that really Passover is the first, is the biblical new year. In Jewish tradition, Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets is the new year. That's a tradition. It's cultural. But this is the biblical new year. So Passover marks the biblical new year. And, and it's at twilight on the 14th. It was a one-time event, but every year it's memorialized. Now, on the 15th, the very next day, uh, we have the Feast, of, <clears throat> the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Let's see, verse, uh, verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Matzah, or Unleavened Bread. So I don't know. Has anybody ever heard the word matzah? All right. Good. So, so you know how delicious matzah is. Mm-mm-mm. Matzah. Now, it's eaten for seven days. But, you know, I will say this about matzah. It does get a bad rap, but you could do a lot of really cool things. I mean, matzah pizza. Is anybody a little... Yeah, a little marinara sauce and some cheddar and mozzarella. You know, it's not bad. After about three, four days, it's, you know, of course, trying to have that matzah and tuna fish sandwich gets a little messy. But anyway, um, so, but it is a lot of fun. So the unleavened bread, the matzah, and you're to eat it um, for seven days. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation, a gathering. You shall do, not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. And so it's got two Shabbats, right? Uh, and, you know, the Sabbath, a day of, of rest, a day of worship. And incidentally, you notice the number seven is being repeated a lot. Seven is the number for perfection um, and completion. So there's a perfecting process. Now, I want you to see the symbolism here, okay? The Israelites, they slay the Passover lamb, and they're slaves. Okay, this is very important. They're slaves. They have no hope, no rights, no freedom, no rest. They slay the Passover lamb. They apply the blood to the doorposts and lentils. And as the destroyer is passing over, they're having an identity transformation, 
okay? They're going from a slave people to the people of God. And it's in that moment that they are to start to eat unleavened bread. Now, leaven or chametz, I'm not going to make you say chametz, at least not next to your neighbor because, you know, they don't, <laughs> we don't have that in English, but it's, you know, people who are first starting to do that, they start to spit a little too much. But anyway, so chametz, also it hurts your throat, uh, is leaven. And it's the corrupting influence. So, you know, what's really ironic is that, like, I don't know if any of you have ever had Ezekiel bread, but if you don't refrigerate it, you just kind of leave Ezekiel bread out, it's kind of done in about three days. It starts to get moldy because it's got the leaven in it, and it's fresh. Unleavened bread or matzah is just the opposite. You could leave that out for a year. As long as you keep the water away from it, it's going to last almost forever. My mom makes me buy her a case, and she just sticks it in the, the closet, and she, you know, for next year or for six months from now as the kids come over and she makes this matzah bread. Why is that? Because there's no... There's no leaven. There's no cor- leaven is the corrupting influence. And so they're eating unleavened bread because they're the people of God. And, and leaven in the scripture is a symbol of, of, um, of, excuse me, unleavened is a symbol of holiness. And so as they eat the unleavened bread for seven days, they're becoming God's holy people, his priestly people. And of course, we know that unleavened is also going to be a symbol of eternal, eternality. And so it's also a symbol of our eternal life. And so we're taking on, the Israelites took on the, the, the new identity as God's priestly people because when they left Egypt, he said, you are my Am Segula, my treasure nation. You are a nation of priests. And we know when we come to faith in Yeshua, he gives us a new identity, a nation, uh, an identity as a royal priesthood and also an identity as an eternal people of God. Just as the Jews, Israel is, is God's eternal people, so are we through Messiah. We have eternal life. And so they eat the unleavened bread for seven days, a picture of them be, their new identity as God's holy people. And certainly we have a new identity when we put our faith and trust in Yeshua and Jesus as God's holy people, his eternal people, his ambassadors of redemption. And so we have new identity just like them. And so they're eating this bread. Jesus was buried <clears throat> on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He, he died on the cross right at Passover, and then he was buried. And if we go to the next slide here, we just see a, a little picture. Actually, we you don't have that picture. Okay. Sorry about that. I thought there was a picture of his burial there. Um, anyway, so uh, we'll, we'll correct that for the next uh, service. But he was buried right, so he died at Passover, and his blood was shed, and he was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that is a picture of how you and I, when we come to faith, we, we're putting our trust in him. Part of how we receive our new identity is we die to self. So we believe, we die to ourselves, we embrace his will, not our own, and then just as he rose from the dead, we rise uh, in him. And so Jesus died at Passover, he was buried at first, uh, excuse me, he was buried at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then he rose from the dead at the Feast of First Harvest. And so let's look here in Leviticus chapter uh, 23, verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall 
bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. So that word Sabbath there, incidentally, is is the weekly Sabbath. It's not, there are two terms for Sabbath with the feasts. I don't want to get into the weeds with you, but one is Shabbaton, which is the festival Sabbath, which could be any day of the week, depending upon when that feast lands. But then there's the word Shabbat, which is the weekly Sabbath. And so this is Shabbat. So the day after the Shabbat, they wave the feast of the first fruits. So you have Passover, right initially, just as Passover is ending, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasts for seven days. And during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have two Shabbats, one at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the 15th, which could be a festival Sabbath, could be any day of the week. You have that other Shabbat after seven days. And in the middle, you normally have the weekly Shabbat. It's that in the middle one, then you have the Sunday where they wave or the first day of the week, it wasn't called Sunday back then, where you wave the sheaf of the grain, and that's usually barley. The first grain of the Israelite harvest, or the first, the first crop, was the, the barley. And then as the barley was ending, it was the wheat. So you had two harvests going on uh, of grain. Barley, which was the harder stock, hardier stock, usually for feed and animals. And then you had the wheat, which was for consumption normally for, for people. And it was after that seventh-day Shabbat that they waved the sheaf. And that's where it says in the scriptures, in, in John specifically, John chapter, I believe it's 20, verse 1, on the first day of the week, the tomb was empty. And so those first three feasts really symbolize our deliverance, our new identity, and our victory over death, our resurrection. His resurrection is the first fruit, our victory over the old person, the new person, and over death and sin. And so, again, as I've been saying, his ministry, uh, for the ministry of these feasts really represent his ministry, the Messiah's ministry for you and me. And so those are the first three feasts. They begin at the Israelite harvest. Then there's going to be 50 days, and we can start there with uh, verse 15. We'll skip over to verse 15. There's going to be 50-day counting, or seven full weeks, and then we're going to have the Feast of Shavuot, which is about how long it takes for the grain harvest to come in. So there's 50 weeks. It's interesting. I don't know. I'm going to pause for a moment. How many of you here are farmers? Okay, you're kind of like me. I mean, I grew up in the concrete jungles of the San Fernando Valley, I didn't know anything about farming, you know, even to this day, I'm still amazed. I've tried it once where, you know, I kind of took a four by four area of my backyard and tried to figure it out and put some seed down. I just was, it was, I did not believe. Isn't that weird? I, I was like, so I'm going to put this little seed down. There's going to be something I'm going to eat in just like, and on the pack, it would say 45 days, 60 days, water, this and that. I'm like, in just like 50 days, roughly two months, there's going to be something I can eat. And I was really excited about it. And I definitely saw something coming up, but the rats and, the, and the, the, the raccoons and the possums and the squirrels, they got to it before I did. But it's true. I mean, this is, this is God, you know, uses these symbolisms for us. And this is really a, a powerful picture. It's also, I think, a picture of discipleship, too. Because in these feasts, they're going to wave two full breasts, breads. And so as these 50 days... The, um, 
the number 50, if you, if you like numbers, like I said, the number three is usually the number for, for God. Seven, completion. 50 is kind of a number of, um, you know, the number five, some people say, is the number for grace. The number 10 is God's sovereign authority. And so when you're under God's sovereign authority and grace, you know, you, that's like the, the kind of the picture of discipling and, and growing in, in faith in him. And, and so you have this number 50, and at the end of the 50, you have these two full loaves. So let me read to you from this, and you have the end of this, of this feast, of the, from going from, from a drop of, from grain, the beginning of the sheaf, to, to these two um, beautiful loaves of bread. Verse 15, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought your, the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from the dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved. Here we, right here you can see, made of two tenths of ephah. They shall be of fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits uh, to the Lord. I want to just pause there and say that, interestingly enough, there's actually three names for this, for this one uh, feast. There's Shavuot, which is the common name for Jewish people today. It's, it means literally weeks. And so we have seven weeks uh, for, for this harvest, okay? Seven weeks, 49 days plus one, because it's the day after. It starts, you start counting it the day, the next day. So you have the Feast of First Harvest. Then the next day, Monday, you start counting and you get, you get Shavuot, weeks. It's also called Pentecost, which is 50, and it's all right in there. And that's what the Septuagint writers... So how many of you ever heard of the term Septuagint? How many of you are like, what is a Septuagint? All right, well, it's this Calvary. You all probably know what the Septuagint is, but I'll just tell you anyway... Um, to about 200 years before the birth of Yeshua, of Jesus, rabbis in Egypt, um, and the tradition is, is it was, I'm not going to get full into the tradition, but basically they were commanded by the Pharaoh or by the leader of Egypt to, to translate the Bible into, into Greek because you know, that's what the Ptolemies, they, they, that's what they read. You know, um, they, they knew Greek, so they wanted it translated because they said, all these Jewish people following these, this book, we want to know what it says. <laughs> and so the rabbis got together, and the tradition is, is that there were 70 rabbis in 70 different rooms, and they translated the Bible, and it was totally the same in each, each copy. That's the tradition or the legend, but they did translate the Bible about 70 years, uh, excuse me, 200 years before the birth of Yeshua, and it became known as Pentecost, 50 so that's where the term Pentecost came. And then Yom HaBichurim is the day of the first fruits. And it, it coincides with, with birth. So the feast of the first harvest coincides with life, the beginning of life coming from the ground. And then Yom HaBichurim is the feast of, of really new birth. And so in Jewish tradition, we're going to eat cheeses and we're going to eat bread and milk products and things like that because the, the cows are lactating because they're having new, new, you know, I guess it's calves and lambs and stuff like that. So I always get confused exactly. But anyway, like I said, I'm a concrete farmer. But um, so, so it's a really beautiful time. And I remember, you know, eating a lot of cheeses and, and stuff like that and, and um, uh, like I said, a special time, and it's in the summer, and it's, it's normally a lot of fun. But, and the priest would take these two loaves, 
This is the, let me keep reading. I, I just, I know I read about the, the loaves, but I want to just kind of keep reading because there's really a lot, a lot of interesting things kind of going on here. So they, they bake with leaven um, as first fruits to the Lord, and you shall present, this is verse 18, you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old without blemish, and the bull, one bull from the herd, and two rams, and they shall be a burnt offering, a worship offering, so it's a time of worship, to the Lord with their grain offering, that's the gift offering, and their drink offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so you kind of have a proto-communion going on here. Um, it's not communion necessarily, but you have the drink, you have the bread, you have the worship. Uh, very special, pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat as a sin offering, two male lambs as sacrifice of a peace offering. And the priest shall wave the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you notice here that you need to have sacrifices. Another thing I didn't necessarily mention, but each one of these feasts need, require a sacrifice. They require blood sacrifice. And so even though tradition, Jewish people are trying to celebrate these feasts by tradition, you need these offerings to go along with them. It's not just, okay, we'll just do some nice rituals. You have to have these these sacrifices. You have to have blood in order to cleanse the community and to offer for atonement and reconciliation. And, and we have that. See, only our faith, which I believe was the, the hope of biblical Israel, the Messiah would come and, and, and really provide these things eternally, only our faith really follows the continuity of the sacrificial system and what was going on in the temple. And Jewish people cannot do these sacrifices anymore because the temple, the place that God marked out, which I believe was commanded in Leviticus 17, you cannot just offer sacrifices anywhere. It had to be where God marked it out, um, is no longer in existence. And so that is a very important deal. But, but they're waving these two loaves. And this is the only feast where leaven is permitted. And I think that, that really these two loaves are symbolic of what two healthy believers on this side of eternity are going to look like, Jew and Gentile, right? Jew and Gentile make up the entire, the entire uh, church, the body of Messiah. And so, yes, we struggle in these bodies until the Lord returns and we receive our new body, but, but we can have victory over sin uh, to where it does not guide us, lead us, or, or um, influence us. We can keep it, in, we can, as Paul says, buffet our bodies and learn to put, put our sin nature or, or the flesh in subjection to the will of God. And, and after 50 days uh, of that new birth, kind of 50, a picture of, I believe, discipleship, we have two beautiful lefts, uh, leaven loaves of bread. Leaven because they are on this side of eternity and are subject to mortality, but healthy loaves able to feed um, the rest of the nations because they're influenced by God. And we are, of course, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is, the, is really, for the, for the believer, the Holy Spirit comes from Shavuot. That, it, that at Shavuot, Pentecost, I said the term Pentecost, so I hope that was kind of in your mind, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to look go too deeply into Acts 2, but it was at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost, which is Shavuot. So at the giving of, of these two loaves of bread, 
symbolic, I believe, of the church, Jew and Gentile, we have the formation of God's church under the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and feed the world through him, right? And, and, and notice, again, it was at Shavuot that we have the drink offering, we have the bread offering, and so we feed the world through, through Yeshua, through his blood, through his body, through the Lord's Supper. And, so, um, and all of these initial followers were Jews. They weren't Gentiles. Uh, maybe some, some God-fearers, but this was a Jewish feast that those, those nations listed in Acts chapter 2 were Jews coming from those places. They received the word, they received the Holy Spirit, and then they went out. And I believe that they really started um, the international church of God, in a sense. Um, and then Paul, when he went out, he didn't have totally fresh uh, territory. He had places where he could go, and there was some beginning, some foundation of the faith. And so, especially like the Church of Rome. In Acts chapter 2, it says that there were people from Rome who were there who received the word and, and came to faith. And Paul never planted the Church of Rome. And we're just like, like who planted the Church of Rome? may have been people from Shavuot, from Pentecost. And so it is really kind of an exciting, exciting um, thing to see the old and the new come together. And so after Shavuot, we have this period of a second harvest. The first harvest, the grain harvest. The second harvest is the multi-cropped harvest. And the multi-cropped harvest really, if we go to the next slide, is two things are going on in the multi-cropped harvest. And I think that's where we are today. In, in Israelite economy, they're, they're, they're bringing in, you know, dates and figs and olives and, and grapes, all these things, you know, so the wheat's done, and now they're having the, the dessert harvest, in a sense, you know, the additional accoutrements. Well, what's going on during this season, um, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, is there's two specific harvests. There is the harvest of the nations and the harvest of the remnant. The remnant of Jewish people, of which I am one of, and the harvest of the nations. Because that's what God promised in Isaiah 49, verse 6. He said, it is too small a thing that I should give my servant just to the remnant of Jacob. I will make him a light to the nations. And so really, in a sense, that's where we are right now. The Holy Spirit has been given. And just as Israel was harvesting in their crops, we are harvesting in the remnant we're harvesting in um, the nations. God is bringing in a greater remnant. There are more Jewish people today believing in Jesus than in any time in history, with the exception of the first century. And there are more people amongst the nations believing, yeah, probably in any time, um, because even though Europe was really, in the Middle Ages, was, was uh, I guess we can debate that, but at least by name, filled with Christians, um, the rest of the world wasn't. But today, the, the, the word is going out all over the world, and, and the body of Messiah is growing all over, South America, Africa, Far East Asia, as well as still here in North America and Europe. Uh, you know, we pray for continued growth and, and revival. And so we have the remnant, we have the nations. Paul says they work hand in hand together. I think the next slide should have the nations. They work hand in hand together. Romans 11, 11 says, Basically, by Israel, the national Israel's transgression, salvation has come to the nations. Why? To make them jealous. And so as you make them jealous, Israel jealous, Paul says, I magnify my ministry as an apostle to the nations if I make some of them, if I win some of them. 
the remnant, the Jewish people. And so we have to see this as hand in hand. It's not either or, it's both and. As we continue to revive and encourage, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through giving, whether it's through witnessing to the Jewish people, we also encourage the nations. I can tell you that because they're... My, you know, my ministry to, to the Jewish people of Los Angeles, where there are 600,000 Jewish people in a city of 4 million. So as I go out looking for Jewish people to witness to, I witness to the nations. That's also another way to look at it. As Paul went out and started his ministry in synagogues, it branched out into the nations. It goes hand in hand. And I believe that there is a blessing. If we look at Romans 11, 11 through 14, there is a blessing that as we minister to the Jewish people. Even if your ministry, your primary ministry, isn't amongst the Jewish people, God blesses that and magnifies the ministry um, that you have. That's, that's how it worked for Paul. And so during this season, there is this, the witness, and it's, go, it's been going on for 2,000 years, but it says in Romans eleven twenty five, it says, a partial hearing has come to Israel until the fullness of the nations. And so when the nations are full, both, and I think that's quantitative and qualitatively, and all, it says all Israel will be saved. And so the next feast, <clears throat> the next feast is the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, there it is. The Feast of Trumpets in which there will be a blowing of the horn. And that ends the Israelite harvest, the Feast of Trumpets, the blowing of the horn. And in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised, and then those who are alive in, in Christ. And so at the end of the harvest season, not just the harvest of plants, but the harvest of souls, when the fullness of the nations come in, God will blow the trumpet, and the church will be restored back to him. And so at the end of the harvest, there are three restorations. There's the restoration of the church, the Feast of Trumpets, the blowing of the trumpet. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 the dead rise and those that are alive to be with the Lord. The second is the restoration of Israel at the fullness of the nations. All Israel will be saved. And that is um, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And so there is a remnant that is coming to faith. But at the end of the harvest, national Israel. At the end of Israel's harvest, national Israel would come and receive atonement. Let me just read to you a little bit about both of these feasts. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 25. Excuse me, verse 23 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial claim proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, and that was 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, the end of the, the harvest season. And then if you skip down to verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now on the 10th day of the seventh month, and notice it's the seventh month, the month of completion, completion of the harvest, completion of both the physical harvest and the harvest of souls. We have the blowing of the trumpet. We have the day of atonement, a day when national Israel would be reconciled back to God. And so part of my heart, my desire, I'm looking forward to the day when national Israel will be reconciled to God. Just as every year Israel in unbelief celebrates the Day of Atonement without blood, 
And the Bible says in Leviticus 17, 11, it says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is only by reason of the blood that one can make atonement for your soul. And so, and so you need blood in order to be reconciled. That's what Yeshua does. He reconciles us to God through his blood. We have victory over sin and death through his resurrection. Jewish people are not experiencing that yet, amen? But they will. They will at Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day after the trumpet blast, God will reconcile Israel back to him in the sixth feast. And then the final restoration is the restoration of creation, um, the Feast of Tabernacles, <clears throat> the Feast of Tabernacles, which um, coincides with the millennial kingdom, the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, let me just skip down and read from verse 37. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings. So food offerings is this communion. Burnt offerings is this worship. Grain offerings is the gift, sacrifices, drink offerings. Pouring out is also a type of sacrificing one's, uh, one's will. Each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Shabbats and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your free will offerings. So basically saying this, these feasts are not the be-all, end-all. They're the primary landing points, but there are other times when God wants to have a relationship with us. Verse 39, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered all the produce of the land, and you can substitute the word produce for people in a sense, right? You shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, completion. On the first day, you should be a time of solemn rest. On the eighth day shall be solemn rest. You shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches, palm trees, and boughs on leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And I, I really think, believe that, is, that taking those branches is a sign of restoration of creation. So we have the restoration of the church, the restoration of national Israel, and then finally the restoration of creation, a time of rejoicing, of waving the branches, symbolic, the trees, symbolic of this life and this creation of, of, of plants and, and, and the planet. And then we have God's millennial kingdom in which he comes and he reigns. And I think that's symbolic of the picture as we just read on. You shall celebrate as a feast to the Lord for seven days. It is a statute forever. Throughout your generations, you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days, all native Israelites shall dwell in booze, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booze when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And I think that picture of dwelling in booths is kind of this picture of now we're going back to the time when God dwelt with his people and they, they saw the cloud by day and the fire by night. There's a future time when we will dwell with God in booths and whether that's the structure or our new bodies where we will dwell with God in his kingdom and we will see him as he really is and we will be his people and he will be our God and we will we'll be able to worship him in, in spirit, truth, and in sight and it will be a, a blessed time. And so these are the feasts of Israel, and these are the feasts for you and me, the feasts of deliverance, the feasts of new identity, the feasts of, power, of resurrection and victory, uh, the feasts of empowerment, 
Holy Spirit, the feasts of restoration, the restoration of church, of national Israel, and creation. And those three fall feasts really are our hope, the blessed hope, when we know that based on what he did with these four feasts, God will fulfill his promises. But until then, we have work to do, right? The harvest. And so I want to just, as I close, I pray God bless you as you work in your harvest field. And as you do so, to remember, remember Israel, remember to pray for their peace, and remember Chosen People Ministries in Los Angeles. And if you did fill out one of those cards or you are interested in talking more during the break, uh, I will be out by the, the literature table. Let me pray for you. This is the benediction that Aaron would, would pray for the Israelites from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. Yivarech Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichunecha Yisadonai panavalecha v'yasem lecha shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you shalom, give you peace, and may you go forth with joy in the name of our glorious Lord and Savior, our Messiah, Jesus Yeshua. Amen. God bless you and thank you. Shalom. Thank you.